Hey everybody, this is Ray Telsh and this is episode 61 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a good week out there. Uh, wanted to get this one out on Wednesday because it is Inauguration Day here in the United States. We get to swear in a new president and hopefully the good that comes with that. Uh, but the movie that was picked this week is a nice little piece of political satire. And uh, my guest this week, returning guest, my dad, Ron Telsch, specifically asked for it to come out this week. So uh, a little rush job on this to get it recorded and, and turned around. But uh, I, I think it's a very appropriate movie if you are familiar with it. To uh, It's surprising the political commentary is still appropriate. If you're not familiar with it, I highly recommend checking it out. There's a lot of really good things in it, which we discuss over the course of the episode. Uh, and we do hit a little bit on the political side of things, uh, just as a warning to those of you who want to steer clear of that. It's never really in-depth, but... There's a couple of uh, minor blows thrown here or there by my dad. Uh, but uh, I think this is a fantastic conversation, and it is a really appropriate movie. Uh, even in our times, even though this comes from 1979, um, it's amazing years later that the satire uh, still hits on certain things that are going on in the political game. So here we go. Returning guest, Ron Telsch, my dad. Always a pleasure to have him on the show as we discuss 1979's Being There. So the last time we had you on the show, uh, the world has changed dramatically since then. Um, we, we recorded pre-COVID. Um, so one of the questions I wanted to ask you, just for our listeners, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people were, were home uh, because of the quarantine, the shelter in place, that kind of thing. <clears throat> and they took to binge watching stuff. But yeah. you don't strike me as the type, especially based on comments you made last time, to be like the Tiger King type. So what have you been using as entertainment? What have you been watching? What have you been binge watching through quarantine? Uh, we watch a lot of British series shows, uh, police dramas, primarily, mysteries, primarily, okay. well, I guess if I can have two primarilys. So we, you know, we watch things, <laughs> we, we watch, uh, you know, reruns of everything we've ever seen before. And then we start on new ones, but a lot of it's mysteries, dramas, you know, we, uh, we try to look at things that get our minds engaged, you know, with all, uh, like murder mysteries, it's always, he did it, she did it, they did it, nobody did it. So you're always trying to guess as the film is, uh, being exposed, you know, which one is it? Is it one? Two, both, none. So uh, anyway, just keeps our minds agile. No, that's that's good. As I said, I mean, I, I know, you know, I, I know some of the stuff you watch, but I just figured maybe our listeners would, would want to know that. Oh, you know some <laughs> of the names? Is that what you're asking for? No, 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 no. Oh. No, no, no. I just, I just wanted context. I'm just trying to establish context. That's the whole point ah. of the opening banter. Oh, oh. <laughs> is this banter? Uh, I never knew what that was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we banter. Watch, I hardly know her. We watch a lot of uh, Netflix, uh, and we watch, you know, movies on Netflix. Some spectacular things are being done uh, internationally. Uh, we watched a series called The Good Karma Hospital. You know, that's not a police procedural drama. That's okay. a bunch of zany folks in a hospital in India. 
I mean, it's j- there's just some great stuff out there. And we watch a lot of um, uh, those 22-minute uh, segment uh, uh, comedies, uh, Kim's Convenience, you know, that, okay, that, yeah. that kind of thing. So anyway. And I say we because yeah, you know, no, other good. than ch- other than chores, uh, we are COVID people. We we have burrowed in, uh, right. kind kind of like the Eloy in H.G. Uh, Wells' uh, movie. You know, we're ju- we're just underground. We are COVIDites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hope hopefully that will come to a an end soon. I I know. Uh, uh, you you just got the vaccine. I got the, the first, first dose, first shot. That's right. And I'm actually due for my first dose soon. Right. And I've had absolutely no tr- no trouble. So, if anyone's concerned about the vaccines, I mean, I just my own experience. Uh, absolutely nothing happened. I can barely identify where they poked me. You know, it's just nothing to it. Easy peasy. Cool. Now, are, are you know are, are you experiencing issues with your audio setup as far as like the tracking device they put in you? Does that cause any issues? <laughs> well, sometimes when the alarms go off, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that little that little CDC buzzer that <laughs> might, might, might as well have fun, right? Right, right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I wanted to discuss uh, before we get into the movie itself, um, again, context, but also just out of my own personal curiosity, um, one of the things we didn't talk about the first time you were on the show is you have a background in acting. You were a professional actor for uh, quite a while. Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, in fact, I, I, just, I just did a uh, – I'm writing a rather long piece of my life's history for you and your siblings. So you get to see some context on my entire life, things that I grew up with, the, my, my joys and pains and sorrows. And in the one section um, on my uh, theatrical career, um, I was a singer, dancer, and actor. Uh, director, stage manager, uh, but uh, in those years, these are in the 60s and 70s, uh, I and my best friends, uh, who I still know, um, in fact, one of them's texting with me right now, um, (laughs) these are 50-year friends, We, uh, we did just about every major show in the 60s and early 70s. Um, either on Broadway, off Broadway, or touring companies, or stock companies—you know, resident theaters across the United States—and we did them all. And, I, and in fact, I was just writing up the shows that I could remember that I did. That that you know, because a lot of times when you when you develop your your Vita with your headshot on one side and your credits on the back side, uh, you don't put down every show you've ever done. So it's I'm trying to recall. Every show I've ever done from the early days uh, to later in life, uh, you know, when I was uh, touring in national companies and um, doing, you know, wonderful things, singing, dancing, acting. Um, I loved it. It was a great, great period in my life, um, you know, roughly eight years. Just had a marvelous time. So in, in looking at all of that, if you – but you'd, ha, you'd have to know the shows from the 60s and 70s. I'm talking Fiddler on the Roof, Hello, Dolly, Mame, you know, all of that, Royal Hunt of the Sun, you know, lovely major productions that I was involved in. So. 
Right. Now, do you think your your time as an actor uh, influences how you watch movies? Like, do you think that impacts like how you analyze other actors' performances? Do you ever have moments of, oh, I could do that better, or or that's an interesting choice, or or anything like that? Uh, well, yes, certainly, certainly it does. In in fact, particularly on the comedic side, in fact, there's one, one of my notes today is that there is a comedic routine inside this movie that I was saying along with the actors. I had forgotten that it was in there, but it's just so obvious because comedy almost always comes in threes. And, right. and I'll share that with you a little bit later as we go through the, the plot and the story, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I I see myself playing roles. Like, what what would I do? What wouldn't I do? So, yeah. All right. Uh, well, the last question. I didn't have this question uh, the last time I had you on the show. Uh, it's something I've added in. Uh, but I, I tend to ask people, what you know, the show is have not seen this. We talk about movies that we're surprised other people have not seen. What are your have not seen this movies? What are movies that people are surprised you haven't seen? <laughs> No one asks me that. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, you have to tell me one. You know, I don't know. You know, I've watched Mandalorian. So, you know, I guess I'm up to speed on certain things. <laughs> I, I really don't. No, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that, right? What have I not seen? I have a couple more. In fact, by the director, Hal Ashby who did the, the sh uh, film we're talking about today, I almost recommended uh, uh, two of his other movies. And he only did like four, so. <laughs> he uh, did. Because they're just excellent. He did more than that. Well, so, what movies did you almost recommend? And I, I think you've seen them. I almost recommended Harold and Maud, And again, that's kind of a speaking to the times. And One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is, you know, definitely speaking to our modern times. So. Uh, we have done an episode on Harold and Maude, uh, and that one was – I had not seen before recording that episode and, and really loved it. I still, oddly enough, have not seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and uh, I, I've brought that up before, and I really need oh to fix my it. God. <laughs> Run to the door and get a copy. It's on streaming <laughs> everywhere. It's I have it on my list. Jack Nicholson? It's – oh, God. Do it. Maybe I'll It'll watch it. It'll help you understand me. <laughs> All right, let's get into the movie you picked today. Uh, it's 1979's Being There, written by Jerzy Kaczynski, based on the novel by Jerzy Kaczynski, directed by Hal Ashby, starring Peter Sellers, Shirley MacLaine, Melvin Douglas, and Richard Dysart. I'm Chance, the gardener. The gardener? Yes. Since I was a child, I worked in this garden. Then you really are a gardener. Oh, yes. May I ask your name? <coughs> Chancy Gardner. Mr. Chancy Gardner, are you related to Basil and Perdita Gardner? No, I'm not related to Basil and Perdita. Gobbledygook. You know, Chauncey, there's something about you. You don't play games with words to protect yourself. Had no brains at all. The stuff with rice pudding between the ears. On television, Mr. President, you look much smaller. Dumb as a jackass. As long as the roots are not severed, all is well. 
and all will be well in the garden. In the garden. Hmm. 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 And so we always start off with, how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? How do you sell them on wanting to see it? Well, funny that you would ask that. <laughs> um, basically, you have to remember that it's a comedy. So it's, in, it's a comedy uh, that can be enjoyed with subtle and obvious references to broader themes. It weaves the themes of major religions into a complete world where assumptions and perceptions are not based on reality and where nothing is more. So that's where I started with the film. That's, that's my first note. My second note is that environmentally it's set within the confines of an impoverished city that also is the seat of political and financial power, showing the dichotomies of racial divides and injustice. Yeah, and I do want to get into that in a minute. Okay. It's interesting your first comment is weaving in religion because that's not something that I got out of this movie. Um, so do you want to expand on your thoughts on that a little bit? I will. If we look at the main character and he's confronted with lust, power, and greed throughout. So, you know, there's a hint that it's about religion. But it concludes with the line, and, and stop me if you don't want to hear the last line, life is a state of mind. So it ends with Buddhism. But if you look at some of the initial things that are said, the, the main character, again, Chancy Gardner, he says, ever since I was a child, I worked in this garden. Well, that's a Christian reference, the Garden of Eden. No wonder the female lead character is called Eve. Ubiquitous oh. television sets, which is common knowledge, comes from Hebraic, the Talmud and the Mishnah. And then you have even lines that are so grotesque as far as the movie goes. When he becomes the messenger, which is a reference to Islam, when he says, tell that chicken shit asshole Raphael, and, and that is definitely him becoming a messenger. And then they talk about the room upstairs, which is very pleasant, and that's uh, Mormonism. Um, and he was, uh, Hal Ashby grew up as a Mormon, by the way. Um, and when he first leaves the house, the main character, here's the last one. Uh, these are just ones that I wrote down quickly. When he first leaves the house, everybody will be listening to that 2001 Space Odyssey theme. But yes. that's really called in German, Also Sprach Zarathustra. Right. Which means, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, which is a reference to Zoroastrianism. So you've got Zoroastrianism, Christian, Hebrew, Islam, Mormon, and Buddhism, and I'm just getting started. So it, it does weave it through major religious thought. I'm I'm sitting here in shock that I didn't get the Eve connection because that's such an obvious one, and I, a garden and Eve, I totally should have gotten that. Um, I did note the thus uh, thus spake Zarathustra um, because I, I I love that audio cue, and and what's funny is I'd watched the trailer. Um, which I, I almost never do when I watch the movies, but because I, we, I actually promoted this episode in advance, I always pull in part of the trailer. So I'd had watched the trailer and that music is in the trailer. And I thought, well, that's really a bizarre choice. I'd forgotten it was in the movie. And the implication of that music is really interesting. The, the, that for us just watching it, it's a man going out in the world. It's a man walking out of the building and going out 
into the world. But the implication of that music is just what an epic journey this has to be for that character. Absolutely. And if and if you go back to the opening of the movie, the first music is Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. Right. So you begin with an unfinished symphony, and then you go through the movie. And for those who don't remember Schubert's Unfinished Symphony, do something like this. This is the symphony that Schubert wrote never finished. <laughs> That's how you can remember that. I should, I should get royalties for that, I think. Uh, I think Schubert gets royalties <laughs> for that. I actually, one of the things I really liked about that opening audio cue is um, that it's, it's diegetic, that we open on this man sleeping uh, and the TV turns on. How, we don't really know because he's still asleep, but it, the, the symphony starts playing that unfinished symphony and that becomes our music as the movie opens. And I liked how it's introduced diegetically, but it becomes the soundtrack to the opening sequence. Right. And then then you move into Joan Baez with Big Bird and Mr. Rogers and Captain Kangaroo. And all of a sudden there's this world in the TVs that is kind of drawing you in. Uh, but it's juxtaposed to what's happening in the here and now. So it's just amazing. I mean, this is where Hal Ashby was a masterful filmmaker oh, yeah. when it comes to that. The only other music reference that I that I wrote down in particular was the basketball blood. Someone who can help me, Fat Albert. You know, it's like, gosh, that was I had missed that line the first time I saw the movie. They just want someone who can help me, and along comes Chancy Gardner. Chance the Gardner. Now let's let's call him by his right name. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I will. Except you know that. They call him, the first time he's referenced, someone calls him boy, and then Mr. Chance, and then Mr. Gardner. So he goes by several different names, but he is Chance the Gardener. But I, but one of the moments that I absolutely loved is when he's sitting with uh, uh, Mr. Rand and the president, and the president starts asking, did you have a chance to read? And every time he says chance, he, he goes, yes. You know, like you're speaking to me. Did you have a chance? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's the that's the three the triumvirate of um, uh, comedy that I that I wrote down. Did you have a chance? Yes. Did you have a chance? Yes. Did you read my speech? Right. <laughs> that's that's where the symbols come. In. Yeah. Um, so, what is your history with this movie? When did you first see it? Oh, shortly after it came out, I would think. You know, seventy nine, eighty. Okay. I first saw it in the movies. I was a big um, Peter Sellers fan. You know, everybody remembers him for Pink Panther, which, yeah, he's funny and it's pretty, you know, uh, slapstick and, you know, fall down, pratfalls and all of that. But this is an actor who did all of that comedy, but had this depth of seriousness inside of him. And you, you can pick many actors who have gone against their own typecasting, who have done amazing films. I just can't think of any. Right <laughs> now. Peter Sellers being one of them. This one was a tour de force uh, for Peter Sellers, I think, because he had to play a man who doesn't express anything. He's absorbing most of the movie. He absorbs. Yeah. And when he talks, it's not really, he's not really talking about the same thing everybody else is. You know, I mean, it's like people describe the character as admirable, balanced, and peaceful. 
And then another character says, you know, he's, he's dumber than a stump, you know, <laughs> it's just, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just the way it is. He was shortchanged. He, the, 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 the cook called him shortchanged by the Lord and dumb as a jackass. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's so, and other folks are saying that he's brilliant. So that assigned or assumed brilliance, I think, uh, you know, politically, because obviously as the movie marches on, it gets more and more political with the president being involved and all of that. But that that uh, assumption and assigned brilliance or intelligence, uh, we've been witnessing that for the last couple of years. There's an assumption that there's stuff going on, but in reality, uh, no, there's no vaccine stockpile. There's no uh, testing kits. There's nothing happening in the background. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I like to bring in uh, a positive and a negative review, and these definitely have some points that I I, I wanted to hit upon. Um, the, this sits at 95% at Rotten Tomatoes. It sits at 83% at Metacritic. Um, the negative review was really hard to come by because among the top critics, there was only one negative review and uh, it went to a dead link. So I did bring in a negative review from Jesus Fernandez Santos from El Pais. And this is a translated review, so I apologize for any mistakes in the translation, but it reads, Ashby already used a similar game in his film about Vietnam, where the return of a soldier served as a pretext to alleviate honorable feelings, eventually controlling and confusing passion and charity. In this case, he offers us the shadow of a man beyond good and evil, capable of awakening what is good in good people and bad in wicked people. For this reason, the best part of the film is his departure to face life, which is already half a century ahead with his old-fashioned suit and his luxury suitcase in a sequence reminiscent of Chaplin. Then the story, like so many others based on misunderstandings, rather than enriching the character, tries to justify him with a view to a development and outcome. Well, how about that? The thing I liked best about that review, though, is it points out, and I, I had even wrote, written this down in my notes, is this is a movie about misunderstandings and miscommunication. That And it's kind of what you were hitting on a second ago is the reason they think Chauncey is brilliant. The reason they think that he's this wise person isn't because he is. It's because they don't understand what he's actually talking about. Correct. Yeah. He's talking about a garden. Right. They're, ta they're talking about finances. <laughs> right. You know, they just they just think he's making an analogy. <laughs> on the positive yep. side. Uh, I have Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times, always like to bring in Ebert, who is very positive about this. In fact, his and uh, Siskel's review is online from their TV show. Um, but what he wrote at the Chicago Sun-Times is, this begins with a cockamamie notion. It's basically one joke told for two hours, and it requires Peter Sellers to maintain an excruciatingly narrow tone of behavior in a role that has him on screen almost constantly. It's a movie based on an idea, and all the conventional wisdom agrees that emotions, not ideas, are the best to make movies from but being there pulls off its long shot and is one of the most confoundingly proactive movies of the year yeah well i think he's right i mean it's you know if you look at if you look at the um, the the world i call it a world that uh, ashby uh, created with this um it, you start with television everybody knows it's not real but it's like, you know, my, I had a, I have a friend, you, you know him, my friend Tad from back in my performing days. Uh, Tad's grandmother never believed that man walked on the moon. Absolutely never believed it. But she thought that E.T. was very real. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so, I mean, it, it, you know, that's that's the power of television. It can be a cartoon or it can show your reality. But either way, it, it's just a television program. Right. So, you know, you always got to bring the camera in and out, you know, close ups to the to the television. And then, it, you know, pulls back into the room the guy's in, bringing you right back to the reality of the world that Ashby created. So. But I, I think there's a, a one thing I wanted to point out. Well, one, I, I missed Hinduism because Hinduism is in there as well with the impotence of the president and, and Eve being watched. That lovely scene that Sean <laughs> does. Uh, that, that comes from a Hindu, Hindu concept of, of kama, which, which is it's not karma. There's no R. It's K-A-M-A, kama. And that deals with passions and desires. And so here again, we have the main character, Chauncey, who is devoid of connection with passion and desires and just releasing himself from that world. And she gets absolute satisfaction from him based on him just being in the room. Pretty amazing stuff. So Yeah. Um, well, I, and I wanted to bring in one other excerpt from Ebert's review because I think it, it has a question that I want to get your answer to, which is he ends his review saying, what is being there about? I've read reviews calling it an indictment of television, but that doesn't fit. Sellers wasn't warped by television. He was retarded to begin with and has TV to thank for what abilities he has to move in society. Is it, <laughs> is it an indictment of society for being so dumb right. as to accept the Sellers character as a great philosophical sage? Maybe, but that's not too fascinating either. I'm not really inclined to plumb this movie for its message, although I'm sure that'll be a favorite audience sport. I just admire it for having the guts to take this totally weird conceit and push it to its ultimate comic conclusion. So what do you think being there is about? Well, uh, you've got uh, uh, racial divides and injustice, which is one, you know, and he does that subtly. This is a lot of this is done subtly. But if you look at, the, at race and that'll be number one, I'll talk about race. You know, you've got uh, the, the first time he steps out of the home that he's been in. He's confronted with a, uh, a, a wall of a building. And the wall sign was written there. It says, America ain't shit because the white man's got a God complex. Right. And then, of course, his his uh, cook several times refers to it as, for sure, it's a white man's world. All you need to be is white in America. So, you know, he, he's playing racial divide in there because you've got impoverishment along with high society and wealth. So you've got some of that. I think you've got just major religions um, that are vying for our attention uh, as well as what's not real. You know, if we want to look for reality, you have to look for what is real, not uh, what comes across television. But I, I love the way that um, he mimicked uh, the things on television with what he was doing in, in uh, with the other uh, characters in, in the movie. You know, so you've got subtle, things are very subtle. It's just a, a wall sign that kind of presents this concept on racial divide. And then you'll have him grabbing to shake hands with two hands, right. which is what he first saw on uh, on television. So it's, it's, you know, so you go have the subtle and the overt all at the same time. Well, one of the things I really appreciated about the way the story is told, and it's some of it's in that subtlety that you referred to, is you can quickly realize that there were certain rules or certain guidelines that 
chance was given as far as how to interact with people that you know and and it's never explicitly said and i think a modern day remake would show us a scene where they were giving him this information and instead we can just kind of read between the lines that that he was told you know if you don't understand something repeat it back to them because he does that quite frequently um use people's names and 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 right. and if you do understand then say you understand because how many times does he repeat something back to them or say yes i yes ronald i understand i understand you know and it's like he obviously was taught these behaviors right right i i don't read newspapers <laughs> he says that several many times right he's all over the news he's on shows he's he, he he had been on television before when he walked in front of that storefront display with the camera on him. So, but it's you know I, I don't read newspapers. Right. I understand. Yes, Robert, you're dying. You're dying. You know, well, death is is another theme. But that, just like in Harold and Maude, I mean, I, I think there's a kind of a focus on death in in Ashby's films too. Um, you know, you've got you know the, the great line of it. No, nobody likes a dying man, Chancy. So, it, which brings me to a joke that I grew up with because you know I had a, a career after the theater, and of course, anyone who wants to talk about religion ultimately comes up with the question: What happens after one dies? And in my experience, generally the police show up. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just you know that's just that's just the way. It's just the way of the world. That's what happens when you die. The cops are going to show up and the rescue squad, and they're going to take you away. So, but de- death is is absolutely there. I mean, at first, the other the other character, Rand, you know, aplastic anemia, Chancy, first line, yeah, aplastic anemia. I have a death sentence. Basically, he was he was saying, uh, and then the, both men who died, the the old man the one in the original house, and Rand, when they passed, it was important that he went into their bedroom and he touched them both on the forehead. Yes. Both times. One with the left hand, one with the right hand. I think that those subtle touches, that's where I say it's there's religious theme behind this or spiritual theme behind this. You know, and obviously the not so subtle walking on water at the end of the movie. Right. You know, it's like, okay, hit me over the head with a baseball bat. You know, come on, I get it. Well, and I guess we might as well talk about that. What, what do you, so do you take that as a religious connotation? I mean, what, what, how do you interpret that ending? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think he was presented as the ultimate being. Um, the an avatar. I don't believe he was he was presented that way, but he certainly had the lightness of air that one finds in in people who aren't caught up in any of the uh, desires and the and the the longings and the wants uh, that all of us walk around with. You know, he was devoid of that. You know, one time he asked to be fed. Can you can you feed me? I'm very hungry. And then from that point on, it was like, would you like some water? Oh, yes, I'm very thirsty. It wasn't, I'm very thirsty, can you give me water? Throughout most of the film, he just he just accepted what was given him. He didn't have desires of uh, uh, expectations on the world. So hmm. you, you have a lightness of being, which is, which is in, in uh, his character, I think, for sure. I mean, you know, was, was he 
you know, looking at the Vedanta, you know, was he a, a perfect master? Was he a guru? Was he, you know, a, a, a being a, a, like a sad guru? We, we don't know. Uh, you know, it's it's not explained. But but he was he was just a, a soul walking around. Uh, he wasn't gentle because he chose to be gentle. He was just gentle. Yeah. He never picked up on all the stuff that weighs us down. Well, and that that's actually one of my... Which it could be because this was in the late 70s. Well, and that's actually one of my absolute favorite moments in the movie is um, when Richard Dysart's character, the Doctor, pieces together what, what the real story is. And after, the, the, after Rand dies, he calls him Chance and says, you know, you really are a gardener, aren't you? And again, a contemporary movie might feel the need to have like this look on his face like he's been caught. And there is that isn't there because he was never caught. He was never passing himself off as something else. There's nothing there's no um there's no there's no sense of being caught because he doesn't understand what's going on. It's it's not a revelation to him. He's just him. Right. And I love the way that they play that. Right. There's no ego involved. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, I, th I think he did a good job as the doctor. You know, suspicion was on his face a couple of times and he tracked it down. And that's what scientists do. They keep, you know, looking under the rocks. So, But there were a couple of others you, d you didn't mention. Richard Basart, who did the Russian ambassador, uh, and Jack Warden, who played the president. I think they, they, they were uh, pretty good in their supporting roles. Basart, he was probably more uh, uh, typecast. Uh, than Jack Warden, but Warden did a good job as the president, I thought. Well, and I, uh, I have to throw out there, Jack Warden also played the editor-in-chief in The Great Muppet Caper, which we just recently covered on an episode. Uh, Richard Dysart was in The Thing, which we've covered on an episode. This ah. And Hal Ashby, of course, directed Harold and Maude, which we've also covered on an episode. So, like, <laughs> this was this coming together of all of these different elements that we've hit upon on this podcast, uh, just wonderfully brought together. Yeah, well, you know, that, that's just the way it is. <laughs> Hal Ashby also did Hair, uh, the movie Hair, which I don't think was was any any uh, good as uh, uh, wasn't as 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 well done as the theatrical version. But uh, Hair is a was a very confronting movie in those days, you know. So that's that's another milestone. That's another one that I have not seen, uh, and I have never actually seen a stage production of Hair either. I'm familiar with the music from it, but I've never seen it in performance. Oh well, that's uh, yeah. It was it was a great show, absolutely great. Um, I worked with uh, Fluffer Her. She and his sister were in Hair, um, and he came over and did uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat with me. And uh, anyway, we just you know this this was all back in my era. Maybe that's why I picked this one. I was just uh, had been writing this piece for for you and your, the other kids, and <laughs> you know, I was just looking back on on my days in the sixties and seventies. So. Well, let me say one more thing about Peter Sellers. Um, to me, the one thing he gets so right with this character, and I, I, you wouldn't think it would be a thing, but it's the delivery of the word yes. Every time he says yes, it is. It's never yes. a throwaway. It is meaningful and it is impactful. And it's 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 very obvious that Chance puts just as much thought into saying yes as he does anything else that he says. Yes. <laughs> I set him up. You knock him down. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, I'm supposed to give you a message. Aren't you the chicken shit asshole? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> 
Are you sick of the dark and depressing news that floods our timelines and airwaves? Are you looking for entertaining news stories that will make you laugh? Maybe a few upbeat and inspiring news stories. We We are are the the podcast podcast for you. you. I'm Greg. And I'm Diana. And we are the hosts of the Podful of Sunshine podcast. Every week we bring you the funniest, craziest, off-the-wall news stories to come out of Florida. But Florida isn't the only place where crazy lives. We bring you the crazy news stories from all around the world. Join us every Monday as we review the crazy news stories of the week. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, basically any major podcast platform. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And tell a friend. So one of the other things I wanted to talk about, I always, I've always thought of this because I saw this years and years ago. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, and I've always thought of it as Peter Sellers kind of pinnacle work, you know, that it's not the silliness that he does in the Pink Panther or Dr. Strangelove or any of those. This is a very different film for him. But what I had right. forgotten about in all of that time right. is just how brilliant Shirley MacLaine is in this movie. And she also has that subtle, subdued performance. Isn't she excellent? Yeah. Yeah. Especially that very first scene of her in the car is just brilliant. She's 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 wonderful. And in fact, the close-up, she does more with her eyes in this movie than I remember. I mean, a lot of times when you looked at Shirley MacLaine when she was younger, you didn't look at her eyes. So, you know, that's that's but she she's just amazing. She's amazing in this film. She is. Yes. And <laughs> yes. She, yeah, she is. I mean and, and this is this comes from uh, you know, didn't didn't she do uh uh Deuce with Jack Lemon? She uh, she played a prostitute and he was the beat cop in Paris. I don't know that movie. I think that's what it was. She she's she's played the the leading lady, the kind of sexual uh sexually alive character before. Uh but in this one she's she's just really out to hit herself. Yeah. Just, Irma Ledeuce, nineteen sixty three. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There you go. Yeah. So she had been performing for 16 years at least or longer when she did this film. And she just got better. Yeah. Just, I mean, just got better. Yeah. And I just, just as, as subdued as, but she also is, there's a lot of weight on her shoulder to be the emotion of the film though, because chance can't be. So the, the reality about Ben dying has to be on her shoulders. Sure, sure, and she uh, she also uh, represents temptation. Right. I mean, if she is Eve and he's the gardener, um, you know, she's presenting him with opportunities that he hadn't, you know, uh, been offered before. And what does he do with them? He, he just absorbs them. He doesn't act on them really. Uh, it's just uh, she did a great job. I thought. Yeah. So, you know who else did a great job? And I'm sorry to change the subject. Generally, you do that. <laughs> and I don't remember the actor's name. He's the the he's the you'll you'll know who I'm talking about. He's the 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 the, the valet or the butler who rides in the elevator with Chancy Gardner. 
And every time they're in the elevator, he cracks up about something that Chancey said. He just thinks it's really funny. Yes. Like, uh, you know, uh, Chancey says, uh, I've never been in one of these. And he thinks he's talking about the elevator. And he could have been talking about the wheelchair. Right. But, you know, it's like, you know, I've never been in one of these. Does it have a television? <laughs> And the uh, the performer who did that just he stayed in character, but it cracked the character up. Right. So it's like how wonderful to watch that happen. But every scene, he, every scene he had with Chancy Chancy the gardener, um, you know, he was there was banter there. Like I, I was just thinking about something you would have said, or uh, I thought you were going to say something, sir. Right. <laughs> he was great for a bit part. It was wonderful. Oh, what did he have? About ten lines, but he was yeah. perfect. Uh, yeah, I no, I totally agree. Good, with good you. casting. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they, they give an Academy Award for cast for casting. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I've ever heard. No, that, there's no maybe. And it was great casting. Yeah. No, there's no Oscar for casting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So I, the the other thing, the other moment that really stood out to me, and you kind of touched on it in your your religious analysis here, but you know, it it is a political satire. Um, you do have that great moment where um, Chance is on the, the television show and they ask him what he thinks about the uh, president's um, policy and he says which policy because he's asking because he doesn't understand and the audience takes that as a joke because obviously he's a president who flip-flops. But I love the fact that we get a moment where the president is literally impotent and the, the political uh, ramifications of that idea of, of portraying the president not as politically impotent but as literally impotent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's almost like he's been holed up in his bedroom um, or holed up in the White House or however you want to look at that. <laughs> it's, the political aspect of this comes through and it, depend, it depends on where you are on the political spectrum. You know, if you believe that uh, folks can work toward compromise, well, you have some of that. I mean, there certainly was a, a party, but there were other individuals involved, all the pallbearers. They were the ones making the decision that they wanted to run Chancey for president, which is absurd to the doctor, um, to to the cook. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, he's president. What's the first thing he's going to do? He's going to lift his hat and go, yowza. Come on. You know, it's just a, it, it, he, he just mimics. He, he doesn't... Uh, doesn't know anything that he's doing and the fact that they're they're plotting this while they're carrying the casket like you know it, it, it's almost literally the body's not even cold yet <laughs> you know they haven't put the body in the ground yet and they're literally carrying the casket exactly. plotting where to go next and i could I, I, it's sad but i could see today's politicians doing that yep yep nobody likes a dying man next right <laughs> you know it's like it's over once you're gone you're gone yeah, well, once you're once you're dead, you stay dead. Just ask Waring Hudsucker. Oh, wrong movie. That's that's right. <laughs> Waring Hudsucker. Oh no, it's a blue letter. <clears throat> yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great film. Have you ever done that one? No, we've only done one Coen Brothers film so far, but uh, I'm I'm sure we will get more in the future. Or you could always come back and talk about that one too. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's a you know for kids, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> I always love that line. You know, for kids. <laughs> it's a circle on a piece of paper. Yeah, it's very, very similar. You alluded to what I wrote down in my notes as the weirdest sex scene ever. 
And I, I think that I found this the weirdest sex scene ever, not only because of what's going on in it, but the fact that, that you know, the earlier seduction, you have Mr. Rogers on the television, the contrast of what Chance is watching versus what's going on in his life. Yep. That's, I think that it was also the power of uh, Charlie McLean. I mean, it's... Whew. She really pulled that off. You know, who was that other one? Uh, what was that film where they did the, the, the orgasm scene at the restaurant table with Billy Crystal and... Uh, when Harry Met Sally. Harry Met Sally, that's right. Yeah, it was very similar to that. There's nothing going on in reality, but you absolutely believe that she was having a good time. <laughs> so it's like, woo. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, you always have to take your outer shirt off and just sit there in your skivvies. You know, it's just amazing. Yeah. That, that may be too technical for your audience, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, do you know what uh, what surprised me uh, as far as, you know, for, for my audience speaking about that? Watching this with my girlfriend, who is considerably younger than me. She did not know what a fuzzbuster was. There's a commercial for a fuzzbuster, which is a radar detector, and she had no. I had to explain her to her what that was. Right. That some of these references are very clearly dated. <laughs> well, it could be because they're now illegal in most states. Well, and and like you you mentioned, I mean earlier, there's there's the children's programming. So we do have we have the shot of Sesame Street while he's getting the news that the old man has died. We have the shot of Mister Rogers when the seduction is going on. And then there is that one little shot in there of Captain Kangaroo. And it got me thinking, you know, Sesame Street is still on and going. Mr. Right. Rogers is still very much in the cultural zeitgeist. People are aware of him. But Captain Kangaroo has kind of just died away, disappeared. Like, nobody ever mentions Captain Kangaroo anymore. Well, see, I knew him as Clarabelle the Clown. Right. So I, I go way back in his history. Right. <laughs> I had forgotten yeah. about that. So he, he was... Uh, when I was a young person, uh, of course, he was uh, Clarabelle on the Howdy Doody show and then, then became Captain Kangaroo. Yeah, and then I think hosted CBS Storytime, if I remember correctly. Now, that I don't remember. <laughs> I must have been up and working or doing something. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have a note. I, I wrote a note to myself that cinematically it draws you into its symbolism. And I think just the fact that we're talking about, yeah, well, there, there's these music references, and then there's these TV shows for kids, and then there's news on the, you know, so it's like, it just kind of sucks you in. Yeah. Uh, let me recommend again, One, one Flew Over the People. <laughs> Maybe I'll watch that tonight. Um, I, I, I also find it interesting that Chance, his attention span is so short that that's part of why we get all these quick clips on the TV because he's constantly changing the channel. And even when it's himself on the TV, when he's watching his performance on that talk show, he doesn't keep it on for the entire interview. He changes to something else. It changes the channel, right? <laughs> and, and not me or you, because as soon as the podcast, after we record this, we're going to go back and listen to it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He just changes the channel on himself. You know, he's not, he's not connected. Yeah, but that was his charm. That's why folks called him uh, charming and admirable and balanced and peaceful and all of that. As well as folks calling him a jackass and dumber than a jackass. And you know, he's just 
Did you did you see the tr- the the ending credits? Yeah, with the uh, with him doing the uh, well the delivering the message that scene. messenger speech that never was in the film. Right, that I didn't remember right. that being right. there at all. Yeah, as a toss off, isn't that interesting? It was a very weird choice because I feel like it undermined the message of the film. Like, mm. I think you should walk away from the film Maybe with so. the last. I just laughed my head off. <laughs> well, it, it was definitely funny, but I think you should walk away from the film thinking about the significance of Chance walking on water there at the end. And instead, you're talking about how funny it was that he couldn't get through that line, which was funny. Don't get me wrong. It just was very weirdly placed. Yeah. Well, that's why they didn't put it in the film. <laughs> or did they? <laughs> I, I, I wonder. I wonder if he never actually could get through any of the shots, and that's why it didn't make it through the film. Because he, even the best take, he messes up at the end. Uh, okay. But as it says in the end, life is a state of mind. So maybe it doesn't matter. <laughs> maybe we're reading too much into this. Maybe uh, it's not as good as we think it is, or as good as I thought it was. Well, that's know. that's what Ebert is arguing: is I, we shouldn't just, read into it. It, it was a. It was a pleasant couple hours. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I just I found such a complete world there that if I come out of it, I can chastise it. But if I stay in that world, I really like Chance the Gardener. Yeah, you know, I'd like to have lunch with him. We can watch TV together. <laughs> you know, I think he'd drive you nuts with the changing of the channels. <laughs> well, maybe so. Yeah, I love that whole thing with the remote. Like the the one young man pulls a knife on him and he pulls out his remote. Right. <laughs> that cracked me up. You know. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Anyway, the one thing that I don't hear, and you may hear it from week to week, you you certainly you get texts or emails or you know hundreds of phone calls for all I know, <laughs> but I, I never hear back from anybody on. Or what, um, you know, did they like the film? Or is it just a nice, pleasant couple of hours? You know, eat some popcorn and watch it and smile and laugh and just remember it's a comedy. They're just doing, uh, it's not a slice of life. It's kind of beyond life. It's showing, you know, the very wealthy and the very impoverished. And, you know, it's not uh, a, a holistic scene of one or the other uh, and where people are wrong. It just is exposing them as they are. Right. I don't know. Yes. I was just, I don't know, I was just musing, musing on getting getting feedback on, you know, what we're doing. I mean, I appreciate being on your podcast. Uh, it's There's so many films I'd love to talk about, it's, as, as, as you do too. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's part of our lifestyle. And I guess if I introduce that to you, I'm thankful because you certainly have a, a, a bright mind in looking at film and, uh, you know, just – Kind of giving you a little commercial plug. <laughs> I appreciate um, it. I, I, in fact, all my friends, uh, all, all my all my theater friends, think that you have a really uh, critical and astute um, understanding of film. So, well, you know that's that's a good thing. Thank you. But they're all half crazy and shit. With the amount of drugs, <laughs> the amount of drugs they did. Who knows what they're talking about? <laughs> and there's there's the butt. I knew there had to be a butt coming. Um, now the number one piece of feedback I got the last time you were on the show was they wished. I guess I heard from several people saying I should just have you on as the guest every week because they loved our discussion of the film. So hopefully they'll love this one as well. Uh, um. All right. So one last comment before we move into the closing credit games here. Yeah, I hope they love the film. Yeah. 
the life is a state of mind is a significant line because not only is it the last line of the movie, not only is it engraved on the tomb of Benjamin Rand, but it is engraved on the gravestone of Peter Sellers who died after this movie was made. Yes. Yeah. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. And nobody likes a dying man. Right. right. I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I really, this, this was just a pleasant, passage of time watching this film again i it really uh i really enjoyed it and and i see more of it more into it now than i did when i first saw it decades and decades ago so it's a good thing the fact that i can even remember it, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of films out there and this one stuck with me throughout my life so all right well they, there it. are lots of films out there we'll use that as our transition into our next segment uh, these are other movies that various algorithms say you will like because you liked being there. So this is kind of a lightning round, although with you, it's uh, that, that probably is another hour. Um, but it's your reactions to these films. Do they do you understand why they're connected to being there? Do you like them? Do you not like them? That kind of thing. OK, so f- first up, we have Harold and Maude. Yeah, excellent. Absolutely connected, I think. Deals with death, deals with, you know, dying, and again, sucks you into a very complete world that's very strange. I mean, he, the Stacy Keach character is a, is a hoot. He's just bizarre as all get out. Um, <laughs> in fact, I, pl- I played in a, in a uh, show that, that he, he did Indians uh, originally. He played Buffalo Bill, and and my uh, good friend Jerry, uh, who you used to know, he used to live in uh, Salem. Uh, he played Buffalo Bill to, to my Indian, and uh, it was just a, a wonderful production that, that we had. But uh, I think Keach was was brilliant in that show as well. So, okay. Coming Home. Coming Home. Boy, give me some context on that. This is the Hal Ashby Vietnam movie. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I was so against the Vietnam War, I didn't don't even think I noticed it. Okay. Not much to say on that one. All right. The Pink Panther. Yeah, that's a it's a good series uh, to watch. There's some uh, it, it's very uh, archetypal. Um, you know, there's there's the the Bumalocos, uh, the uh, inspector. Uh, uh, I mean, the the chief, and then he he's the inspector that um, you know has antics and ticks, and you've got some you know uh, thematic uh, characters in there that are that are quite uh, unique, wonderful. Okay. I like I like that. I like Doctor Strangelove too. He was good in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So next up is another Peter Sellers movie, The Party. I don't recall that one, Ray. Uh, the description is: Sorry, You always stump me on these. <laughs> I just go by the algorithms. Uh, the description is: A clerical mistake results in a bumbling Indian film star being invited to an exclusive Hollywood party instead of being fired. Yeah, that ring a bell. Don't know. It. Okay. Shampoo. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen it, but it doesn't. It didn't stay with me. I mean, it's. Uh, I think I rinsed it out of my mind. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Local hero. Local hero. Don't know it. Okay. Uh, the accidental tourist. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know how it would connect to being there, but uh, I I always thought it was more a reluctant tourist, but. <laughs> maybe it fits with being there i don't know okay um 
one I had never heard about, but I had to throw in the Magic Christian. Oh, I don't know that at all. It is hmm. Peter Sellers and Ringo Starr. Oh, I've got to look that one up. Yeah, and I've been on a Beatles kick lately, so I feel like I <laughs> I'm going to write that down. I had to, uh, it, it, the the description on Amazon is bored rich Peter Sellers adopts streak fragrant Ringo Starr as his son, and they set out to prove a theory: people will do anything for money. Yeah, I I haven't seen that. I'll I'll, I'll watch that. All right. I like Ringo Starr. All right, and then finally, oh God. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm ch- trying to remember the, the lead character's name. Well, the, the, the character would be God, but the actor would be George Burns. <laughs> yeah. George Burns. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, well, they're one and the same in the movie, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that much, was, that yeah. was uh, oh, God, was a good good film. There's a lot of spinoffs on that, on that uh, particular show, though. Uh, a lot of people have tried to replicate that. It didn't... Uh, uh, Morgan Freeman to uh, one similar to that. Oh God, I'm trying to remember the name of that title. Uh, I can see how Oh God would fall in there with being there. All the Do you mean where Bruce Almighty? Is that where Morgan Freeman plays God? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Carrey and, uh, yeah. and they did the sequel, which yeah, was not as Jim good. Carrey. That's, <laughs> that's correct. Anyway, yeah, religious themes are always uh, are always good because they're I mean they're classic when you when you look at what you know why is religion followed because religious texts are probably the most read and remembered text ever written. I mean I'll put them up there with Shakespeare. You know, I mean, there's there's so much. I mean, if you look at just in the on the Christian side of things, you know, the Bible breaks down every sentence chapter verse sentences you know it's like they get down to you know 1a and 3c you know what does this line mean well they're, they're uh, folks are seeking and they go to those uh, particular tests texts so uh, you know anytime you get a universal themes like that uh, it kind of fits works for me generally yeah. sometimes they're they they don't but yeah <laughs> we always end with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie. Are you ready? Uh, $10 Dorothy Kilgallen. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, number one, Peter Sellers was nominated for best actor for the film, but did not win. Speculation was there was a specific reason why he lost. Why do people think this was? A, the masturbation scene with Shirley MacLaine. B, the bloopers over the end credits. C, the satire offended members of the Academy, or D, to quote Tropic Thunder, you never go full retard. <laughs> oh, 1979. Uh, what was the first choice? <laughs> uh, the masturbation scene with Shirley MacLaine. No, what was the second choice? That wasn't The it. bloopers over the end credits. Yeah, it might be it. Yeah. We didn't quite understand that either. Uh, yes, absolutely. They, they, they think the bloopers over the end credits was the reason that uh, Sellers did not win the Academy Award for that. Oh, that's cool. It's also worth mentioning Melvin Douglas, uh, who plays Rand, was also nominated and won for Best Supporting Actor. Oh yeah, he he was he was good. Aplastic anemia. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, apparently, yeah. some people do like a dying man because he won the award. Yeah, these bloopers are really interesting. One of my favorite favorite bloopers is um did uh, elvis presley uh, ever win a grammy well the answer is yes he won he won it three times but in which genre now this is the king of rock and roll 
Uh, gospel. Well, I, gospel. Okay. Interesting. You're turning yeah. you're turning the quiz on me. That's not how it's supposed to play. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is that how this game is played? <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to set the pace for 2021. The world is being turned upside down. So let your viewers get in on the action. <laughs> or listeners or whatever. All right, number two. number two it took sellers nine years to get this movie made part of the process was acquiring the rights from author jersey kaczynski allegedly sellers kept trying to convince the author that he was right for the role by sending repeated telegraphs with what message a gardener available for work b filmmaking is like a garden c we must make it before the old man dies or d i'd like you to watch c uh, no, he kept sending him telegrams that said gardener available for work. For work. Wow. Okay. I thought they were all good. <laughs> Number three, legendary actor Lawrence Olivier was offered the role of Benjamin Rand, but declined due to an issue with the script. What was his issue? A, he didn't like the depiction of the mentally challenged. B, he didn't like the political satire. C, he didn't like the American setting. Or D, he didn't like the masturbation scene. Oh, wow. See, I would have thought it was something different with Olivier. (laughs) That he didn't want to play a sick person. That would make sense. Uh, I'll go with C. Uh, No, he didn't like the masturbation scene. uh, That that was his issue with it. Wow, this is 70... 1979. Well, he was an old man by then. Yeah. Rand wasn't even in that scene, though, so I find it particularly interesting that that was his issue. Just, I guess, it being in the same movie with him. Yeah. All right. Last one. Early in the film, Chance is watching Sesame Street, uh, and lawyers attempt to discover his claims on the old man's property. Uh, The juxtaposition of those scenes is particularly interesting because of what connection between this movie and Sesame Street. A, sellers would go on to remake scenes for a Sesame Street skit. B, the story the storyline in that episode of Sesame Street was about eviction. C, the house's address is 321 Sesame Street. Or D, one of the lawyers was a Sesame Street actor. Oh, I'll go with D just because they don't know the real answer. Yep, it absolutely is D. Fran Brill, who plays Sally, was Prairie Dawn from 1970 um, until 2015. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? You know, I'll tell you something about Sesame Street and me. In 1970, I went to the White House Conference on Children, and I went there with a uh, theater group of uh, puppeteers. And we had a puppet mobile that we wanted to drive all over Appalachia to bring you know, theater and the magic of puppets uh, to all these poor, impoverished uh, children all down in the south of Appalachia. And uh, we didn't win the the recognition that we needed because the group next to us at the exhibition at the White House Conference on Children in 1970 was Children's Television Workshop. <laughs> Guess who they picked? Yeah. I was this close. I could have been a contender. <laughs> <laughs> It wraps up our discussion on being there. Um, I really appreciate this because it's been years, as I said, since I've seen this movie. Uh, great to revisit it. Great to 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 watch it as an adult now, and and definitely had a different perspective on some things. Not the perspective that you had on it. And I really, I'm now I'm going to have to rewatch it again with the spirituality and the, the the religion commentary in mind. 
Yeah, particularly the Charlie McLean scene. <laughs> Thanks, Rafe. It's been a blast. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about being there, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, we're at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or email me at Have Not Seen This at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. Why remember a destructive love affair? Here at Lacuna, we have perfected a safe, effective technique for the focused erasure of troubling memories. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Ron Telsch for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other. Thank you.